Okay, good to be with you. I want to try and uh, achieve a number of things this morning. I want to try and bring a word to David uh, and Amber sitting next to him. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to try and bring this word applies to every member of Winchester Family Church. And so please don't switch off and think this is a message that I'm just speaking to Dave, David in particular. But also it's the beginning of a new year. So happy new year. This is participatory and uh, it's great to begin a new year and to shake off those Christmas sort of lethargies and uh, inertia that can often come and garrison ourselves for what I believe is going to be a very, very important year for the church in the UK, but for Winchester Family Church involved in that. It would appear to any casual observer of New Frontiers that if you want to get ahead in New Frontiers, the name of David will certainly give you an added impetus. We have three uh, key men, elders in this region who are all called David. And actually three of the most responsible men in New Frontiers, Dave Devonish, Dave Holden, Dave Stroud, uh, hold that name. So Winchester is moving clearly with the spirit in New Frontiers. And uh, this is a key thing. What I want, if I'd have had a time, uh, my PA is in India for another two weeks, I would have actually had a PowerPoint. And the title of this morning's message is, The World Needs More Davids. The world needs more Davids. And what I want to try and do is, on the backdrop of King David, if you like, the canvas this morning is King David and his incredible life. I want to paint with New Testament colours what it is for a man to receive a call from God and to be fruitful in that call. And we're going to be reading from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We understand you're working your way through 1 Timothy. Uh, We've come to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to read the first seven verses. I'm reading from NIV. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Because if anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I'm going to use an acrostic of WFC, Winchester Family Church, WF and C. And what I want to show in terms of the type of man, the type of leader God is looking for, the first and most important thing I can say this morning is, he is to be a man of wisdom. A man of wisdom. David was full of wisdom. Do you remember when David was first called, when Samuel arrived at Jesse's house And Eliab, the eldest, was there and he looked a mighty macho Arnold Schwarzenegger type of guy. And Samuel thought, well, it's going to be this guy. And Samuel had to be rebuked by God saying, look, 
man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And as Paul unpacks to Timothy what it means to be a godly leader, Paul says the heart of the matter of leadership is the matter of the person's heart. Sets his heart. If anyone sets his heart, literally stretch out his arms for. God working on a man's heart that he reaches out in faith to do a noble task for God. And what is encouraging here, what is encouraging for David this morning, is God chooses the foolish things of this world. He chooses the non-wise by human standards. He chooses the lowly, the weak of the world. Those who look on an outward appearance, well, they're not up to much. You know, the first time I met Dave Lockie, he had dreadlocks. I met him as an unbeliever on the streets of Winchester, only a few yards away. And who would have ever known, as I was preaching the gospel on that day and met with a Dave Lockyer, that a few years later he would be taking this big step of taking responsibility before God to lead uh, the people of God. And outwardly I would have thought on that day, a bit of a spaced out bum. To be honest. A bit of an airhead. And here he is on this day. And this this is such an important day. I I just feel it in the spirit. I've been thinking about this all over Christmas. Getting excited about being here. And then hearing of Des Derbyshire's uh, call home. I felt this is a day, Winchester Family Church, where a baton is being handed on. This is not a closing of the nations to Winchester Family Church and getting on with what you're doing here. This is about the nations being reached for Jesus. And it begins at home, Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And this is a step forward for all of you in terms of the big call that God's placed on this church to influence the nations of the world. And so as you receive David this morning, you're going to be full of faith. This is going to mean people going. This is going to be finances invested. This is about churches being planted and peoples being reached for Jesus Christ. Two things Paul says about the wisdom here that I want to just bring to you. Firstly, it is a noble task. He desires a noble task. You see, leaders are called to live in such a way so that others will not think badly of the church or of Jesus Christ. You're called to live a different life. Called to be holy in a nation which is very unholy and ungodly. I went to uh, the dentist just before Christmas and uh, there was a locum, a hygienist who was doing my teeth. And uh, you don't, I don't know if you, you get into this, but you can't really have a conversation, can you? It's a bit of a captive audience. And she starts with my teeth and she goes, oh, I see that you're a vicar. Ah, I'm a secular humanist. Ah. But don't worry, she said, my best friend is a vicar. Oh, hello. Who's a woman? Ah, right, yeah. And she models her life on the vigour of Dibley. Ah, yeah. All the time. You know, you're having this, uh, not a bit worried of upsetting this person in case that, you know, you suddenly find your gums bleeding. And as she talked, it was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. You know, the truth is, she doesn't believe any of that biblical rubbish. 
She doesn't believe in the virgin birth. She doesn't believe that Jesus was God. She started talking like this. Like, ah, 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 ah. And by the end of it, I was, I was just appalled that someone in a place of responsibility, of godly responsibility, to show the world a bit of what God's like, was just the same as the spirit of the age. Didn't believe the Bible, didn't feel that they had to live any differently, that marriage was a load of rubbish. And I, I came out of that surgery so mad. It's a noble task to lead a church. It's a high calling. It's a massive responsibility. And God demands that there is a difference in the way in which we live, in the way in which we speak. Secondly, you see here as Paul unpacks these, this list, this amazing list, and I could spend all morning going through each one at a time, but I'm not going to do that, that character is more important than gifting and even competence. And this really applies to leaders, this applies to every single one. What would the church be like if every single person took this list and said, God, I want to live my life in this way? The list does not say, when God looks for leaders, he is looking for the clever. He is looking for the three A's at A level. He is looking for a BSc, a master's, someone who's gone to Spurgeon's or Oak Hill, someone who can preach well, someone who's led a thousand people to Jesus Christ, someone who can organize a daytimer or a PDA. Paul's focus here comes down, actually comes down to three R's. Terry Virgo always says, New Frontiers is about relationship, relationship, relationship. Actually, Paul here talks about relationships. Firstly, he talks about relationships with wife and family. He must manage his own family well. A man of only one wife. I think Dave just about qualifies with this one. Doesn't mean he can't be a single man and be an elder. This is clearly speaking about having more than one wife or even perhaps as some commentators saying have a casual attitude to divorce and remarriage. It's a one woman, one man thing if he's going to be an elder. And what you find here and what is so important to speak into Dave's heart is that elders and leaders and overseers' responsibility is to love their wife, to protect their wife and to promote their wife in God. Amber is not secondary, Dave, to the call of God on your life. She's primary in sense of the person God has given you to work out that call and therefore needs your primary attention. Heather is not an elder. My wife is Heather, by the way. She's not an elder. She's not a backdoor to the eldership. She is my helpmeet. She is my friend. She is my lover. She is absolutely indispensable to everything I do. She's not an elder. Not called to be governing and taking that responsibility. But boy, has she got a lot of wisdom. And do I need to listen to her? You know, as I prayed for you and Amber, I saw a picture of a knight, an old-fashioned crusading knight, with a big red cross and, the, and you know, King Richard the Lionheart, whatever. And I saw you crusading out into the nations. And I saw you with a, a bird of prey, whatever bird of prey they used to think, and it was Amber. And Amber was taking forth into the heavenlies and she was soaring over the mountaintops and over the treetops. And she was your eyes and your ears. 
She was someone whose God would want to say to you, even on this very important morning, that you need to listen to her. She has wisdom from God. She has sight from God that actually will help you to achieve godly objectives in terms of reaching the next objective, the next people group, the next nation, the next town. And I felt God would say to you, you're called to battle. Both of you are called to battle. This is not an easy step you're taking today. The battle is hotting up. In the nations, we know that because of the news even over the last week, but actually in our own nation. And you both have called together in this and need to be strong and very courageous. Same with the children. See that his children obey him with proper respect doesn't mean that they become Christians who lead in the worship. It means people who are respectful to their father and to their mother and to others and to the ways of Christ. Children will need your hands-on, Dave. Not someone who is remote. No abdication. You need to manage and produce respectful children. Relationships with wife and family. Secondly, relationships with appetites. So often you can read this in terms of not given to drunkenness and think the big emphasis here is on alcohol. Actually, I believe it's wider than this. I believe it covers all appetites. Temperate, has mastery over God-given appetites, moderate with food, with alcohol, with money and with sex. You see, biblical leadership, this is very important, church, very, very important. Biblical leadership is not prohibition. It seems wherever I go in the world, if I go to Africa, go to America, go to India, Christians so often react in a massive way in terms of things like alcohol. You just don't touch alcohol. It's a bad thing. Don't go anywhere near it. And that is not a biblical worldview. I can remember having a blazing row in Pensacola because some of the evangelists want to go for a drink afterwards and go and have a Budweiser or whatever you drink out there. And I was just getting, one of the leaders said, where are you not going? We're going off for a drink. Well, alcohol? Alcohol. You guys need to be down at the altar tomorrow surrendering to Christ all over again if that's the way you're going to live. And we, I started this argument about Jesus drinking, that Jesus drank alcohol. His first miracle was not some watered-down sort of slur. This was vintage, heavenly wine, intoxicating, heavy stuff. And we got into this, and and you know what he said, this person, I remember this person said, people like you make me sick. That's what he said. I said, you know, I've never drunk alcohol in my life, but I want to defend the right to moderate drinking. And I believe... Moderation is what we need to have in all our appetites. You see, Luther's wife, Catherine, was a skilled brewer. Do you know what the Pilgrim Fathers who set sail for America, the first building they erected, wasn't a church, it was a brewery. Moderation, self-control is the aim. And it's good to have a glass of wine or whatever Buck's Fizz is on offer this morning. It's good. It's good to enjoy that new car or dress or trousers, whatever it was you got for Christmas. It's good to have a jolly good romp in bed with your wife. But moderation is the biblical aim. We're not slaves to these appetites. We're in control of them. And in case you think this is a bit, 
Well, that's a bit blunt. Let's not be naive. The backdrop of King David was, what an incredible man of God, and he fell with Bathsheba. He blew it. And I, can tell, I could tell you and sit you here for half an hour and just tell you of leaders that I've known that have blown it because they have not mastered their appetites in sex, in money, even bringing disgrace in the way they handle food. We need to know how to relate our appetites with God. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and brings life and blessing into your own life, but also into the life of others. Powerful indeed is the empire of habit. Thirdly, relationship. The other third thing you see here is relationship with others. And again, how many leaders blow it in terms of relationship with church members? Either becoming independent, living in sort of their little ivory towers. You meet a leader and they're always looking beyond, always looking over your shoulder. You get to meet leaders like that. You start talking to them and they're sort of like, seeing if anybody's better sort of walking past, or get leaders who are harsh and legalistic or control freaks. Actually, here in these verses, you unpack them, and you find that elders are respected by others, but also respect others. They're people persons. They honour the propriety of situations. They don't step carelessly on people's toes. They don't like a fight. They don't always want to have the last word. They love people. They love to have people in their home. They're hospitable. The home is a a massive area in terms of the church advancing that we need to relearn the importance of hospitality, particularly as the nations come to our world. They need to be well thought of by work colleagues, by neighbours and by friends. See, godly leaders are not people with their heads in the cloud living on another planet. They are people, people. They love people. They interact with people. And in the church, they're people who handle the word of God wisely. Not necessarily preachers and teachers, but men who are able to help others, to encourage others, and also refute those who bring false doctrine into the church. This is the wisdom of God. This is what God says the church needs for those in leadership. And this is what I am convinced Before you today, as we set David in as an elder, you have. I think you have an outstanding young man who is responding to this noble task. But I also want to talk about two other aspects this morning before we lay hands on David. Wisdom from God. David was a man full of wisdom. But David was also a man full of faith. The F is faith. I love Hebrews 11 when it talks about the hall of fame. And faith, by faith, Abraham went, called and went. By faith, Moses, by faith, Joseph gave instructions about his bones. And we haven't got time, the writer says, to go into David and the the other guys. It's like, why not? What was so pressing when he was writing this that we can get into David? What would he have written about King David? What would you write? If you had to write... And David, by faith, David, what? I mean, probably we'd all go, killed Goliath. (laughs) If I was to write it, one of the things that most strikes me about David is by faith he operated under others' authority and power. When you read the life of David with Saul, 
with Jonathan, with Absalom, with Joab. You realize he was a man with a massive, massive calling from God, a huge anointing, massively gifted, but he would never betray or undermine others in leadership. Even where it sometimes became ungodly and harsh and demanding. David had faith in the God who gives authority and knew that if he was to ever exercise godly authority, he would first have to submit to it. And you know what, Dave, I want to say this. You never, ever graduate from this classroom. You'll always, the whole of your life, be under authority and God's looking for the way you relate to others in authority. I say that as a person now with responsibility for a number of churches in three different nations. I realize more and more I find myself sitting in the classroom of submission and learning to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, learning to respect those who carry authority before God. Two applications in terms of faith this morning. Firstly, for every member of this church. This is very important at the beginning of a new year you hear this. God's best. God's best for your life. God's best. Who wants God's best for their life? God's best for your life is outworked within the church. Under God-appointed leaders, overseers, bishops. You see, so many Christians today are asking the wrong question or questions. They're saying things like this. What's God's will for my life? Where will my gift most shine? How long do I have to serve before I'm released onto the stage of this church's platform? The question that every one of us needs to ask is, what is God's will for the world? And how can I serve that? How can I get on board what God is doing? You see, God has a will and a purpose for this world. He always has done. He's always wanted a people for himself. His purpose and promises have always been outworked through a people. His glory, his glory observed as God works in his people. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So in Adam, he speaks to be fruitful and multiply. To Abraham, he talks about sand on the seashore. Moses and the prophets. And then we come to the New Testament, we find Jesus giving the great commission. That Jesus wants his glory to fill the world. He wants the message of the gospel to ring out through the, every people group in this world. And the way that's achieved is through the church. The church of Jesus Christ, unashamed of the name of Jesus, boldly proclaiming, as they should, the great and wonderful gospel. Every single one of you today, this is a fantastic church. You're just looking in this morning, this is a great church. Get on board. Don't sit and watch and observe and think, mm, it's a bit not quite good enough there. Not good. Don't do that. Get on board and make it better. Get on board and lay your gifts before these elders and say, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. And you will find As David found, as he learned to submit under Saul's authority, did not frustrate the purpose and plan of God, God worked through it to enable David to be one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. But secondly, not just to the church, I want to speak to you, David. I want to say this, when you allow the lives and principles of great leaders to instruct and confront you, 
you will develop and grow in your own leadership gift. You say, how do I learn to grow and how do I become better for God? I want to say to you, submit to others in leadership and learn from their lifestyle. I worked alongside Reg and Greg in this church and I learned tons. You've got Dave and Mark and Neil as elders around you and they'll teach you many, many things. Learn. And you've got John. And uh, I feel very strongly this is a time for you as you come into this eldership thing not to add to John's workload but to actually release John into his God-given calling. Learn from him. He is an outstanding leader in many ways. Not just a teacher, not just a leader, not just a prophet. He is a great man of God and you need to sit under him and Marion Amber. Learn from both of them. I truly respect them greatly. And when I was with the elders just before Christmas, I had a picture of a big orange balloon out in the car park out there with Winchester Family Church on it. And I could see that God was saying it's time for this church's profile to rise in this town as in the nation and actually be able to be transported to the nations. But as with a balloon, you see sandbags, you see ropes, you see tethers. And I could see people going around and God going around and starting to slice some of these sandbags and slice some of these tethers to allow this balloon to go up. That's going to be part of your role. As you come into eldership, it's to help John to be released to his work of service by serving him and allowing him to do what God's called him to do, to pilot this balloon. But to cut away things that so often bog down a church and stop it from being the very thing it's supposed to be. Help him. Dave, be a greenhouse of ideas. Bring solutions, not problems. Bring, bring, bring encouragement on a weekly basis, not frustrations and criticisms and baggage. Let this church truly launch forth into a new realm of power and visibility. Faith for growth, for enlargement and for profile. And finally, courage. David, King David was a man full of courage. I love the Goliath story. I loved it when I first heard it. I love it as much today. I love it, don't you? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Only a young guy, only a few little smooth stones, and yet something in him of God was saying, today that giant's head is going to be in the sand. You know, there are quite a few Goliaths in our nation. They parade around, they threaten, they intimidate. Political correctness, <laughs> that's a huge giant in our nation. Read in the paper yesterday about a prisoner in the Isle of Wight saying, I'm not coming out of my cell when the judge asked him to appear to be sentenced. He said, it infringes my human rights. And the judge apparently was incensed when he heard the prisoner. He says, well, you know, what? this world's gone barking mad. That is the world saying that. Christians, we're going to be told we can't do certain things. We can't say that Jesus is the only way to the Father. We can't meet in certain ways. We can't have public parades. They're going to try and force us into the world's mould. And we need to be courageous and say, no. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? We're God's men. God's women. Called to do a great thing. The isms. Materialism. Humanism. Racism. Feminism. Feminism. They're all giants in our nation. 
And one big brute that is making his presence felt at the moment, highlighted by Mark Driscoll in his amazing book, Radical Reformation, is egalitarianism. Everyone is equal. And like all heresies, it has half true. We are all equal before God, all made in the image of God. We all have access to the Father by the same means through Jesus Christ. There is no hierarchy or status in terms of how we relate to God. We all relate on the same level. We're all called in the same way. But we are not made, equipped, gifted, mixed by God in all the same way. Every one of us is different. There are men and women. There are leaders and followers. There are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And the world would say that everyone's ideas, everyone's views are equally valid. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Every opinion, every preference, we need to listen to all. You have radio phone-ins. You have the England football manager saying what he thinks and you have Joe Blowfly saying, well, I think this. Well, who cares what Joe Blowfly thinks? When I go, when I was taken into hospital a few years ago and I had shooting pains in my stomach, I didn't want a gathering round of everyone in the, in that room saying, well, you know, I think it might be wind. I think it might be indigestion. I think it might be cancer. I think it might, I wanted a doctor. I wanted an expert. I wanted a specialist who was going to tell me, as he did, that it was appendicitis. I need to go straight to surgery. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 pounds. That's what I needed. The Western church has become one big internet chat room. Confusion over gender issues. Do away with preaching. Emerging church. Any old meeting is church. Go and have a burger at McDonald's. That's church with another Christian. It isn't. Everybody's a leader. I've read that in so many books. Everyone's a leader. No, they're not. Every leader is an apostle. Rubbish. We are changed and charged. Sorry, we're charged by new frontiers, by God in new frontiers, to change the expression of Christianity in the world today. If we're going to do that, it's going to be with churches that follow godly leaders and who speak out courageously to the world around them And confront the spirit of the age and say, we are not going to bow to these gods. We are going to live differently. We're going to uphold righteousness and tear down unrighteousness in the name of Jesus. We're not going to say all all roads lead to Rome. We're going to say there is only one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. Put us in prison, hang us whatever. We are going to preach Jesus and him crucified. That takes tremendous boldness and tremendous courage. And where it begins is with churches lining up with godly leaders and saying, Dave, you're now a elder, we'll follow you. Take a lead, take a stand, and as you do so, we will make our stand with you. In conclusion, why am I in leadership? Because I want to change the world. I want to make it a better place. I want to leave fruit. That remains beyond my lifetime. Fruit that lasts. Churches that go on making a difference. Long after those leaders have gone on and the baton is passed on. Des has passed on a baton. He changed the world. Him and Grace. There's no greater joy in my heart than to be with a church on a morning like this when we are appointing leaders. That's what I live for. To see new leaders raised up and appointed. 
I could be at Bournemouth Family Church. Today we change our name to Citygate Church. And we're going to do a two-part series. One starts this week, one starts next. And I'm preaching next Sunday, but I wanted to be here. Because I felt this is very important morning for all of you as a church. Very important how you receive, Dave. That you open wide your arms to him and Amber. That you open wide your arms to God and say, we receive David as an elder, as an overseer, as an under-shepherd, and we'll follow your lead. He's joining a team, a great team, a fantastic team of guys, and he's going to add a, a breadth to that team. And he's going to help John do even more for God and release this balloon to soar even higher. How's he going to do it? With God's wisdom, with faith, and with great courage. Lord, I want to just stand before you, stand before this wonderful church and say thank you, thank you, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for this church's existence, for the great history we've enjoyed together as we look down the years. We can say truly, Lord, grace upon grace, you've blessed this church with. And today, Lord, we're feeling that baton being handed to us, a baton from heaven. A baton, yes, from Des Derbyshire as he passes on into glory, Lord, put into our hands. But also a baton from heaven saying, Winchester Family Church, you are born and birthed and have an existence to bless the nations of the world. To change the expression of Christianity here in Winchester. To be a blessing to this town that everybody will be talking this year, I pray, about Winchester Family Church. About the difference it makes to the lowly to the rich, to the young, to the old, to the marginalised, to the foreigner, asylum seeker. Lord, I pray, let the balloon go up in Winchester Family Church this year. Lord, it will attract opposition, I know. But in God's name, in Jesus' name, I pray, great strength, great courage, great faith to come upon every member here today to realise God is summonsing them to great endeavour in this day and age. Lord, we're not going to bow to the spirit of the age. We want to be men and women of faith and of courage and of godly wisdom. And I pray as Dave comes now, as Dave is received by this church, I pray make this a very special day for him. Oh, God, bless him and Amber. May they feel everyone is behind this. May they feel God's hand richly upon them. And may this be for launching this church into greater, greater expansion and blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen.